0: This podcast is sponsored by LL Bean, who makes it easy and fun to simply step outside. That might mean breaking a speed record in a rugged, built for fun sonic snow tube, walking an extra block in a warm, weather resistant down jacket, or just taking a breath on your doorstep before cozying up in a quilted sweatshirt. For however you experience the outdoors, shop clothing and gear at LLBean.com. Be an outsider. right at the outcropping where the patuxent river meets the baltimore harbor sits a star-shaped fort that had been instrumental in the war of 1812 and which led to the writing of our national anthem many know the story of how francis scott key was held captive on a british warship during a long night punctuated by a fiery battle when dawn broke he saw the thrilling sight of the great garrison flag still flying proudly in full glory over the red brick ramparts of Fort McHenry. Today, a historical replica of the oversized American flag from the War of 1812 still flies over the ramparts of Garrison. It's a storied location steeped in the history of a fledgling nation fighting for its very life in the city where Mary Young Pickersgill sewed the immense American flag that inspired Key to write the poem he titled Defense of Fort McHenry later renamed the Star-Spangled Banner. The poem turned song and that particular flag seen by Francis Scott Key at dawn are legendary and synonymous with Fort McHenry. The great garrison flag was like no other, at a grand size of thirty by forty-two feet, with each stripe two feet wide and the same measure spanning its fifteen stars from point to point. In the months it took to prepare the city of Baltimore for impending attack during the War of 1812, the commanding officer, Major George Armistead, announced that Fort McHenry would have a flag so large that the British will have no difficulty in seeing it from a distance. Francis Scott Key's lyrical verses described in bold detail the massive flag surviving the Long Night's bombardment. The fort carries many other stories, perhaps none more striking than its use for imprisoning prominent southern-leaning citizens of Maryland during the Civil War, including members of the Maryland legislature and journalists. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the America's National Parks Podcast. Maryland is not the first state that comes to mind when we think about the Civil War usually. However, long before Sharpsburg was the site of the bloodiest battle, Maryland played a pivotal role as a catalyst and is a bit of a notorious example. As one of the five border states geographically situated between the staunchly set sides of the definitive Northern states of the Union and the definitive Southern states of the Confederacy, Maryland found itself in a precarious position torn between the rural region's cultural and economic affinity with the south and the northern leanings of the more urban central area of the state. This slave-holding state did not declare for either side. However, just days after the fall of Fort Sumter in South Carolina, Union soldiers, making their way through the city of Baltimore en route to Washington, D.C., were attacked by a pro-Confederacy mob. In the ensuing riot, the mob shot at the soldiers, who returned fire. In the end, 12 civilians and 4 soldiers lay dead in the streets of Baltimore. The war's first casualties. In the immediate aftermath of the Baltimore riot, James Ryder Randall wrote a poem called Maryland, My Maryland, referring to President Lincoln as a despot, a tyrant, and a vandal, and the Union as northern scum. The poem was quickly set to the music of O. Tannenbaum and became something of an anthem for the Confederacy. It was successful in inciting violence, making an emphatic battle cry, hardly portraying Maryland as the neutral party it claimed to be. The despot seal is on my shore, Maryland my Maryland, his torch is at thy temple door. The song was wholly embraced by a good portion of the population of the state and later became the Maryland state song. It escalated the federal government's fear that Maryland would secede, leaving Washington DC surrounded by hostile states. Struggling with the conflicting views of both sides in this geographically crucial state, after the Baltimore riot, Abraham Lincoln suspended the right to petition for a writ of habeas corpus to maintain federal control over Maryland. A writ of habeas corpus protects American citizens against unlawful and indefinite imprisonment, safeguarding personal freedom against arbitrary government power. Hence, anyone suspected of harboring views that went against those of the federal government could now be arrested without being charged with a crime and held in military installations. With this new leeway, federal troops and local police officers were given orders to arrest pro-Confederate members of the Maryland General Assembly and ultimately members of the press, congressmen, and even the mayor of Baltimore and the police commissioner. In a single night, September 11, 1861, dozens of prominent citizens were arrested, including 31 members of the Maryland legislature in what became known as a grand political massacre. Most ironically, one of those arrested was Francis Key Howard, editor of the Baltimore Exchange, a southern sympathizing newspaper. Notably, he was also the grandson of Francis Scott Key. Just after midnight on September 13, 1861, several armed officials arrived at his home with orders to search the entire residence and take Howard into custody and bring him to Fort McHenry for detainment. And so the grandson of an icon of American patriotism became a prisoner in the very garrison that had so inspired his grandfather and the nation whose pride swelled in response to his famous words in the Star Spangled Banner. The presumed basis of Francis Key Howard's arrest, although he claims the cause was never revealed, was for his editorials that were critical of Lincoln and his policies. In particular, he was angered by the suspension of habeas corpus, the impression that Lincoln and his administration had brought Baltimore under martial law and imprisonment of notable people without due process. The newly imposed martial law severely restricted freedom of the press, although only for Southern-leaning publications. Howard accused Lincoln and his administration of being unlawful and oppressive, and asserted that their actions would be a permanent stain on the history of that time and place. With the federal officer still searching his home, Francis Key Howard was brought to Fort McHenry in the middle of the night, with the waxing moon reflecting off the dark waters of Baltimore Harbor. He and three similarly arrested peers were held in a small room in the garrison, with a chair for each and a single rickety old bedstead that he had described as the filthiest apology for a bed he'd ever seen. The fort lay quiet, no active embattlement colored the night as it had during the War of 1812. The purpose of Fort McHenry had shifted from overt protection afforded by a fortress to a more nuanced type of presumed protection, by silencing the voices of the opposition. Some argued that this new purpose held far more sinister implications in a country founded on the ideals of freedom. Howard referred to Fort McHenry as a bastille, not just any prison or jail, but one concocted in a tyrannical manner. He proclaimed that he and his fellow prisoners were unlawfully imprisoned, having never violated either the Constitution or the laws of the United States, Rather, he stated that by criticizing the policies of the federal government, they were defending the rights of the state of Maryland and that under the provisions of the constitution, they were granted the freedom to do just that, to speak their minds and advance their views without acts of treason or insurrection. Since no specific charges had been filed, Howard was forced to believe that he and his peers were arrested simply for exercising the right of free speech. As he looked out over the balcony the next morning, Francis Key Howard was struck by a peculiar coincidence. He wrote, On that day, 47 years before my grandfather, Mr. F.S. Key, then a prisoner on a British ship, had witnessed the bombardment of Fort McHenry, when on the following morning the hostile fleet drew off, defeated, he wrote the song so long popular throughout the country, Star-Spangled Banner. As I stood upon the very scene of that conflict, I could not but contrast my position with his. 47 years before. The flag, which he had then so proudly hailed, I saw waving in the same place over the victims of as vulgar and brutal a despotism as modern times had witnessed. Francis G. Howard was held for a total of 14 months, in a succession of garrisons, or in his words, American Bastilles. Fort McHenry simply served as the first During the course of his imprisonment, an article in the Baltimore American stated that the commissioners believed with full conviction that under no circumstances should the political prisoners be allowed to return to freedom in Baltimore. If they were, they would continue to foster an atmosphere of unrelenting hostility to the government and exercise undue influence on the rest of the citizens. The article justified their continued imprisonment by dubbing them prime movers of disloyalty. When he was finally released on his own recognizance, more than a year after his arrest, Francis Key Howard wrote, "'We came out of prison as we had gone in, "'holding in the same just scorn and detestation "'the despotism under which the country was prostrate, "'and with a stronger resolution than ever, "'to oppose it by every means to which, "'as American freemen, we had the right to resort.'" As much as the Civil War was, in fact irrefutably a rejection of and an attempt to end slavery it's important for us to look back on the heroes and victors and villains of that terrible event and understand that our heroes are always flawed of the many presidents of the united states abraham lincoln is often revered as one of the greatest but he was a man and had his own flaws too both the union and the confederacy did terrible, unthinkable things during the Civil War, this event being one of the least of them. Today, Fort McHenry is a peaceful property, a national park, and historic shrine within the Baltimore city limits. Open year round, it's a dual purpose park. The fort and the grounds offer vastly different experiences. Visitors can tour the Star Fort climb up on the ramparts and see the rooms that had held the prisoners who were detained there solely because of their political views with no regard for the constitutional right of free speech. A replica flag of the full oversized dimensions as the original Great Garrison flag flies prominently within the brick walls. The original is now housed in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. The Visitor Center features exhibits on the role of Fort McHenry through several American wars and a film on the history of the fort. The grounds are a green delight within a very industrial city. Cherry trees bloom along the seawall trail in early spring. Runners, dog walkers, and bikers regularly take the trail flanking the harbor year-round. Families picnic on the grass, and children fly kites or toss frisbees, enjoying the spectacular views of the city, Francis Scott Key Bridge, and the boats entering and leaving the harbor. The annual Defender's Day celebration commemorating the anniversary of the Battle of Baltimore and the writing of the National Anthem is the crown jewel of the yearly event calendar and features music, living history demonstrations, and often fireworks. Throughout the year, the park hosts a variety of programs, including musical performances by the Fort McHenry Guards Fife and Drum Corps, reenactments, flag day celebrations, short summer camps such as the War of 1812 Fife and Drum Camp and Civil War Field and Music School, Twilight Tattoo Ceremonies, and the daily changing of the flag between the large daytime flag and the small nighttime flag in which visitors can actively participate. A visit to Fort McHenry can easily be paired with Hampton National Historic Site nearby. Hampton features the mansion, farm, and gardens of what is presumed to be the largest private home in immediate post-Revolutionary War America, and the stories of the Ridgely family, who owned it for nearly 200 years, their enslaved African-Americans, and European indentured servants. Maryland, My Maryland didn't become the song of the old line state until well into the Jim Crow era. 1936 even after it was rejected by one governor due to its divisiveness serious momentum to change it began during the civil rights movement but it wouldn't be until years later that maryland finally dropped the tune july 1st 2021 this episode of the america's national parks podcast was hosted by me jason epperson and written by lauren eisenberg davis help support the show and in independent journalism by becoming a member of the America's National Parks Patreon community. For less than one latte a month, you can help us increase public lands awareness to help ensure these amazing places are here for future generations. More information can be found at patreon.com nationalparkspodcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. Now over 95,000 members strong to get all your National Park questions answered and see tons of amazing photos and videos. For more great American destinations, listen to the See America podcast, and if you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys as our wandering family all over social media. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.